Welcome to the Financial Dads Podcast with Paul Fagan and Jody Fisher. This is the podcast for all dads who want to succeed with life's topics, especially related to family and finances. And here's my dad, Paul Fagan. Hey, Jody. How you doing? Hello, Paul. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Another busy week uh, trying to make our way through COVID. It feels like things are getting a little bit better. How was your week, Jody? I saw a counter on my Peloton this morning. 17 weeks that we're at this? Wow. That is crazy. And I saw a tweet this morning from a client of mine. She simply said, I miss hugging people. You know what? I do too. (laughs) I have to agree. I definitely would have to agree. I think uh, my Peloton's not getting nearly as much of a workout um, as as yours is. (laughs) But I did start jumping on that a little bit more this week and, and, and trying to get back on track with that. So. Yeah, it's, um, it sounds extravagant, but thank goodness my wife wanted to buy it back in December because we had it. We were ready to go when the when the YMCA closed down, and and now I don't think uh, I'm I'm getting off it. I love it. Very cool. Very cool. Well, today's podcast is "Don't Retire, Graduate" with guest Eric Brotman, CEO of BFG Financial Advisors. We'll hear from Eric about his business and what he thinks is the smart way people should be thinking about their retirement. But first, let's talk about some news we saw this past week. Okay, Jody, the first story that I'm looking at is on from the New York Times. It's actually an essay, Personal Finance Lessons from the Pandemic. And I read through the story, and it, it's everything we've been talking about over the last several months. I can't believe we're saying months, but months at this point, um, where we talk about managing debt aggressively, keeping more cash on hand. They did talk about in here about making a plan for security uh, Social Security benefits, which I thought was interesting. Um, never thought about that before, but kind of factoring those uh, pieces into your retirement plan and and basically why we need to save more. Jody, what was your take on this story this week? Yeah, this is a good essay. And the, and the sub-headline here, our writer entered the pandemic believing he was in good shape financially. Now he says he has a lot more to do. Um, well, I would give that guy a get-out-of-jail-free card because I think we all always have a lot more to do. Um, but this essay, and you can read it, it'll be posted on the Facebook page, um, basically gets down to having a plan, figuring out the money coming in. And this is what we talk about week in, week out, Paul, money coming in, money going out. What's your plan? What's your budget? What's your goal? And how are you going to get there? Um, and he runs down a couple of things that he discovered in here that you can find out for yourself as you read it. Um, good article, get a plan, stick to your plan, you know, try to success. It's the only way you're going to do it. Very cool. Uh, the next news story that we're going to pull is from Forbes, Personal Finance for Young Adults, Understanding Credit. Now, we've done a lot of podcasts related to this around credit and the dangers of credit. Um, this article is interesting because it talks about kind of credit 101. What is it? How does it work? Uh, how to build credit, why it's important. But it also talks about the pitfalls that we've talked about in the past of getting over your head with credit. Um, for me, it was a good read, uh, a good primer for somebody to who's not familiar with credit to, to get a, uh, their arms around credit. Jody, what was your take when it came to this story? Yeah, I think uh, subheadline here is uh, uh, credit good, credit card bad, or maybe something, something to that effect. <laughs> but to your point, Paul, you know how uh, building credit is a necessary thing. And as they say in there, there's a line in here talking about, you know, a bank will only loan you money if they think you can pay it back. Well, duh, of course. Um, but, you know, baked into that is, yeah, you have to understand that mechanic. Um, 
the the bad way to build credit is to grab yourself a credit card, run up a whole bunch of charges, and then spending years digging out of that hole. And we've talked about the dangers of credit cards in the past, Paul, um, how it doesn't give you that ouch moment that cash does. Um, and that, you know, when, when you swipe that card, you spend, you spend hard, you spend fast, you spend deep, and you can really dig yourself into a hole. So be very, very careful. But the, uh, the overall article here, how to build credit and how to make that work for you over the course of your financial life. Uh, another good read. Yes, absolutely. Well, with that, we'll jump into the main topic. So we're on to it. Uh, don't retire, graduate. We'd like to welcome to the podcast, Eric Brotman, CEO of BFG Financial Advisors. Yeah, Eric is the CEO of his multi-generational financial planning and wealth management firm. He's based in Maryland. Um, he was telling us uh, earlier this week when we spoke with him that he recently launched a consultancy representing financial advisors. And he's also the head of Brotman Media, which, uh, Eric, you said have, has a book on the way. And I know you have a terrific podcast of your own. So welcome to the show. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. I'm delighted to be here. Very cool. And Eric, I can't believe with all the stuff you got going on, it's amazing you have time for us to, to do the podcast. So I'm also going to thank you for taking the time today to do the podcast with us. Um, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and your business, but more importantly, about being a dad? Uh, we'd like to hear a little bit about that as well, because after all, we are financial dads. and We want to hear a little bit uh, about your life as a dad. Absolutely. And and just for, for starters, you know, we I, I started BFG Financial Advisors back in 2003. I've been in the industry since 1994. So I'm now, you know, I went from being the precocious young uh, advisor to being the old guy in the corner office pretty fast. It really did happen fast. Uh, and during that time, I became a dad back in 2009, which was right in the middle of the Great Recession. And there was a lot going on at that point in time. So, you know, as a new father, I, I got some real lessons real fast, which we can talk about if you'd like. Um, the BFG Financial Advisors is a group right now. We have 20 people, eight financial advisors. We work with clients right now in 30 states, uh, most of whom are multi-generational families uh, and all of whom uh, come to us uh, basically with different sets of circumstances, but with some commonalities. And the biggest is that folks, say, 40 to 60 years old are the true definition of the sandwich generation. Um, and I think that describes all of us quite candidly on this on this podcast. And, you know, it means we've got parents in their late 70s, early 80s we're worried about. We've got kids we want to educate, take care of and spend time with. And we're also working 50, 60 hours a week or more and trying to make sure we hit our own financial independence targets. There's a lot. There's a lot going on. Yeah, absolutely. I think that for me, you hit it on the head with the sandwich generation. I, I feel that um, recently I've had conversations within my own family and, and it, it is prevalent um, in terms of being squeezed in the middle. Right. And, and I could see where you're coming from with that. Um, tell us a little bit about your family life, uh, Eric. That'd be, I'd be love to hear a little bit more about your your your. You, I believe you have one daughter. Yeah. Yeah. One daughter who is 10. So she's absolutely perfect in every way. Ask me again in three years, and I, I might give you a different answer. But for right now, <laughs> for right now, she's she's perfect in every way, and thinks I'm you know the best thing ever. Uh, and again, I, I think that may change over the next couple of years, at least for a while. Hopefully, not too much. Um, but uh, got married in 2007, became a dad in 2009. Um, family's living in uh, suburban Maryland, where the uh, where the office is. Although. You know, in the wake of COVID, we're, we're looking at office space in a different way, like lots of folks are, and uh, realizing we can work from any place. And, uh, you know, I'm, I, I would say that one of the positives of this whole pandemic, at least for me personally, and there's plenty of negatives and plenty of things we could dwell on, but one of the positives is 
you know, I canceled 18 flights. I went from being a road warrior in hotels and rental cars and Ubers and, and uh, airports to being home a lot more. And I've loved it. I've absolutely loved it. And while I don't want my daughter to be homeschooling, I, I'm looking forward to her hopefully getting back in the fall to some sense of normalcy. It's been a really good year for us in that regard. Yeah, that's very yeah. cool. Yeah, I, I agree. I've been uh, set up here in the garage <laughs> since March. And, uh, you know, it's got its challenges, not without its challenges. But, uh, but man, it, it has had a, a ton of rewards as well. And uh, we'll see what happens in September. Um, so so er you, you were banished to the garage. I was banished to the basement. But let me tell you, I, I made the basement the a, a world-class man cave. I do not hate it. It's all right, <laughs> oh, it's the best. It's like the, it's like the total excuse to invest money in the thing, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Look, if I'm going to be home a lot, I need a, a place where I can where I can be. It's like it's like having your own dwelling. It's great. We wanted to have you on the show because you've got this. Uh, in addition to your business, you've got this terrific podcast of your own that's actually called "Don't Retire, Graduate." And I, I think it's a terrific theme and a terrific way to look at how people are planning sort of the next phase of their life. And we talk here on the podcast a lot about the, the need for planning and budgeting, and we already did today. Um, give us a little background on that. You know, you talk about don't retire, graduate. What does that mean? What's your definition of retirement? Um, the definition of retirement for us is the absence of needing to work, not the absence of work. Because ultimately, while financial independence is a fantastic goal and whether you're trying to strive for it at age 40, 60, or 80 is, is not as relevant as the fact that you're going for that and budgeting for that and planning for that. Financial independence is a good thing. But retirement in its traditional sense is a punishment. Um, th this, this idea that you'll be cast off, I mean, it, it, the, the concept started 150, almost 160 years ago, and it was being put out to pasture because you were no longer useful. And some of that started back then at the age of 40. So I don't know about you guys, but I'm still feeling somewhat useful. So the, the plan here is that retirement um, should not be a retreat or a surrender or a disappearing act. You don't go 45 years in a career and work, 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 work to suddenly stop and sit home or just play golf or shuffleboard or watch daytime TV. It's not good for you. You won't thrive. And retirement could last 30 years or more. You got to have a plan for what is truly a third of your life. You, you can't just assume I'm done now and I, and I, and I, I punch out. So um, for us, I look at graduations as a milestone and something you move towards, not something you move away from. You know, it's, a, it's an accomplishment, but it means you've reached another level of wisdom, another level of success, another level of opportunity. You know, if you look at somebody's LinkedIn profile and it says retired, it might as well say deceased. No one's going to click that and go, there's somebody I really want to network with. Yeah, I want to hang out with that guy, right? <laughs> boy, that sounds like fun. You know, if it says, if it says you know, uh, world traveler or it says uh, consummate volunteer or it says, you know, changing the world one day at a time, you might still get a click even though the answer is the same. Yeah, I'm, I've re I'm retired from full-time work. I'm not punching a clock anywhere anymore. Uh, I was listening to a conversation that you were having with one of your guests and talking about how she pivoted from um, being a very successful um, uh, professional to retiring and pivoting into almost full-time volunteerism, but she had to have the plan that went with that. Have you had people sit in front of you say, hey, I want to retire and I want to move from this to this, but you look at them, uh, their plan and they don't have one. How do you counsel people on, on making that, that change from a financial perspective as well as maybe a personal one? 
the, the financial perspective is, is relatively easy, right? It's, it's a math problem. You know, you have X resources, no matter who you are, if you're Bill Gates, they're still finite. They might be more than we know what to do with, but they're still finite. So when you have finite resources, you have to determine how you're going to make them last so that you can't run out of money or so that the odds of you running out of money are so slim um, that you can feel comfortable to do the next thing you want to do. Um, so financially, it's important to know a few things. Number one is that we're going to live longer than we expect. There are lots of people who who think they're going to live as long as their grandparents did. But the reality is people are living longer now. They're not necessarily living better or healthier, but they're living longer. Um, so number one is we're going to be here longer than we expect. Number two is it, life's going to be more expensive than we expect. Think about folks who retired 20 or 30 years ago who now have bills for Internet service providers and cell phones and, and things that didn't exist then that are now part of the monthly budget. There will be other things like that. Um, you know, whether it's planned obsolescence or technology or just lifestyle. So there will be things that make life more expensive um, in addition to the fact that they inflate. Um, and so for us, the people who have the most, the most successful retirements have three things in common. They don't have any debt. And you talked about credit earlier today. And, and I think that's right on the money. Um, if you have debt, you really don't have freedom. I mean, that is an unbelievable thing. And not all debt is bad debt. I mean, a mortgage is leverage against a property. Some business debt is okay, but credit cards are basically always bad. Not bad to use, just bad to carry a balance. So one is that they're debt-free. They owe no one a nickel. The second is they have their health. They've taken care of themselves. You can't, you know, spend uh, 60 years of your life eating, you know, e eating burgers out of a bag in your car every day and then suddenly retire and think you're going to be terrifically healthy and you're switching to kale smoothies. That's just really not the way it works. It's funny. We had a con I'm just going to jump in real quick. We had yeah, a yeah. conversation about that, about a whole podcast talking about the financial impact of to your health or the financial impact uh, of your health, right? And and that kind of thing, health maintenance over the course of time. Yeah, we're totally with you. So so health is is number two, and and these aren't in any particular order. So you're debt free. You've protected your health and taken care of yourself. And the third and final piece of that puzzle is you have a purpose. You have a mission. You have a reason to get out of bed every morning. And it doesn't have to be for money. If you've reached a level of financial success where you don't have to earn money for anything, you still need a why. Because if you don't have a reason to get out of bed every morning, getting up at 6 will become getting up at 7, will become getting up at 9.30, will become sleeping till lunchtime. And suddenly you really have lost your purpose and your way. It's important to have a reason to get out of bed. And that sounds so simple, but you asked about the financial and the non-financial impact of retirement. One of the biggest impacts is trying to figure out not only what you're going to do, but who you are. You know, as American people, we, we tie so much of our identity to what we do for a living. If somebody asks, hey, hey who are you? Tell me about yourself. The first thing they're going to say is, I'm a chiropractor. I'm an accountant. I'm an architect. Well, that's not who you are. That's what you do. And so, you know, if you tie your identity to what you do your whole life, when you suddenly don't have that, have you lost your identity? And so it's really important from a qualitative standpoint to understand that who you are is not what you do and that you can reinvent yourself. And for us, that means graduating to your 2.0 or 3.0 or 4.0 pivot. Accelerate. Do something cool. Do something you've always wanted to do because you can. And that, to me, is retirement. Retirement is not sitting around and, and, and waiting to die. That's dreadful. Yeah, Eric, I totally agree there. Let's talk a little bit about financial literacy. Um, I know that you're part of the Maryland Coalition for Financial Literacy. 
Um, you, you've even delivered some testimony uh, to the state legislature there. You volunteer with Junior Achievement. How early do we need to be thinking about retirement? And how early do we have to start teaching our kids how to handle money and how to plan for their future? How do we plan for their future? Uh, great question. And it, it's actually three questions. So let me unpack it a little bit. In terms of when we should start thinking about retirement, um, the, the, the real answer is as soon as you have a paycheck of any kind, it's time to start thinking about segregating some of your assets into long-term savings and what you need now. Um, and sometimes that's because of employee benefits. Sometimes it's because of, of the ability to do some tax management or some tax planning. And sometimes it's just about getting into good habits. So you should be putting money away to re into some form of retirement almost immediately upon getting your first job. All right. Um, and that's daunting because I don't know if you remember being 22 and being handed an employee benefit uh, sign up sheet. I, I was I was a deer in the headlights. I didn't know what health plan to choose. Should I be in the stock purchase plan? And um, do I really want to put into an IRA? And can I can I afford to can I afford to even pay to park my car to go to work? You, you know, there was there was a whole lot of things competing there, but it does make sense to start right away and to learn to live on, say, 85 percent of what you make instead of everything. That's one. In terms of kids, um, I think as soon as kids can understand the value of a dollar, the sooner you can do that, the better. And so with with our daughter, we set up a, a plan as soon as she asked for allowance. We didn't offer it. She asked for it. Uh, she was nine years old. And she said, you know, mom and dad, I'd really like to I'd really like to have some allowance. And, and so I started asking probing questions about what would what it would be for. And she said, well, it would just be nice to be able to make some of my own decisions, which I thought was a very mature answer. And I like that. And I said, well, allowance is never given. It's always earned. So we need to come up with some age appropriate uh, things that you can do so that you're earning your allowance. And she agreed to that, which, again, was a mature thing to do. So we had her putting away her clothes after they were washed and, and putting, you know, and clearing the table at night after dinner. Real simple stuff, but age appropriate type things. So we agreed to an allowance of five dollars a week. But the deal was this. Every Sunday, we give her five one dollar bills. We had her go to a craft store and buy three jars, three clear plastic jars that she labeled and decorated because she's artistic. And one of them says fun. One of them says long term. And one of them says charity. And every week when we give her $5 of allowance, at least $1 has to go into long-term and at least $1 has to go into charity. The other three can go anywhere she wants. And I've watched her early on, three were going into fun, like routinely. And then I watched her start to put more money in the other, in the other buckets with the idea that I really don't need any additional fun money and, and I'm, I'm going to do this. So um, last December, we did two things. One, we went to the bank. I took her to the, the bank branch. And we opened an account with her long-term money. We took it in. We opened an account. I taught her the value of a match. So I matched what she had put together, which was more of an incentive for her to save. And she opened an account with a few hundred dollars in it. It wasn't a lot of money, but the, the point was there was, uh, there was some savings that had come out of the jar. The jar was empty again, and she had to start anew in January. Second thing we did was we found a charity, and she chose St. Jude's because, you know, sick kids was something that she could wrap her hands around and, and felt good about. And so we took that charity amount and we made a gift in her name to the charity. And the things that she's learned from this, I think, are extremely powerful, even though she's young enough and fortunately in a position where she doesn't really have to worry about money right now. She doesn't have money troubles, but she's learning some of those lessons. So I think as soon as your kids are old enough to understand that, 
it makes sense to start them on good habits. If she saves one out of every $5 she makes the rest of her life, she'll never starve. That's a that's a great story. We've we've done something similar here with our kids, and I think that's the the golden moment as a parent is when they ask that question. Like you have an opening right there to say, okay, we can do this because that they're they're expressing that they're interested in this, right? It, it may be as simple as you know I want some money so I can buy a thing, but that opens up that whole story that you just told there about how to how to earn money, how to save money, how to spend money smartly. And and I'm I'm so glad that you put charity in there. You know how to how to take care of some people who maybe are less fortunate than you are. Um, really, really terrific lessons there. Uh, how's it going, by the way? <laughs> well, I I think it's going pretty well. Her clothes are always put away by Sunday. <laughs> I, I haven't I haven't cleared dishes from the table in quite some time, which is lovely. Um, you know, my wife is 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 the cook, uh, and uh, you know. She would argue if she were here that I don't do the dishes all the time, but technically it's my job. Um, but it's nice that the dishes get from the table to the sink. You know, it, that, that to me is helpful. And in one piece, right? <laughs> if anyone's going to break them, it's going to be me. That's why right. I, she's more careful than I am. I'm all thumbs. <laughs> um, wanted to talk to a little bit about, because I know you've been outspoken about this, and, and I feel the same way, about how it's really my feeling is that it's really embarrassing that we don't formally teach m about money in school to kids. We don't teach these lessons that you were just talking about, these simple concepts of earning, saving, spending, being charitable, um, and you know, or even more complicated concepts, maybe in high school, how to balance a checkbook, things like that. Um, it, it, it seems like we let kids go all the way through school, up through high school, and then they get out, they go to college, we hand them a credit card and we say, good luck. And that's our version of financial literacy in this country. Um, you know, give us a little, maybe a little bit of your thoughts. We're probably going to align here, but a little bit of your thoughts on, on how you think schools could either do a better job of teaching financial literacy or maybe what some of the hangups are, why they can't. Um, you, you, first of all, you're absolutely right. This idea of turning 18, going to campus, getting a credit card. Some of those kids are 35 now and still paying for that set of skis they bought the first week they yeah. had it, which is shocking, you know. Um, I, teaching financial literacy is incredibly important, but getting education mandated in schools is incredibly difficult and, quite frankly, a little bit troublesome. So, you know, I, I met with the heads of teachers unions. I met with, with uh, some of the folks in elected office. I met with folks who were with some of the various nonprofits. I haven't met a single person who said teaching financial literacy is a bad idea. So let's start with that. Everyone agrees it's a, it's a true crisis. Everyone agrees it's a good idea. The problem is in the delivery. And there are not many parents or schools or other systems that want legislatures mandating curriculum. So th 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 unpack that for a second. The, the idea that we all agree that this is a good thing, if legislatures start mandating curriculum, maybe the next thing they decide to mandate isn't so universally liked. Mm -hmm. And so it becomes a very slippery slope. You're also asking teachers who are arguably paid based on you know standardized test results, which is an awful way to choose whether a teacher's doing a good job, in my opinion, but they're, they're often paid that way. You're asking them to now teach something that is not on the test, that is not related to their incentives, and something they don't understand themselves. They have to learn it to teach it. So in other, in other words, to do that, if you wanted teachers to add this to their plate, we'd have to educate the teachers how to do this, because just because you're an adult doesn't mean you're financially literate. 
And Junior Achievement does an amazing job. I'm glad you mentioned them. It's an amazing organization. It's international. And they do a great job of teaching kids about money and finance and everything from doing career days to doing uh, to doing budgeting workshops and all those kinds of things. But really, the parents should be attending, too. I don't know about you guys, but I learned a lot of lessons from my parents about money. We all did. And the lessons we learned are often watching people make mistakes and not do it right. You know, a lot of kids grow up watching their parents fight about money because one's a one's a spender and one's a saver or because they can't agree on whether that's too expensive for a couch. And unfortunately, you learn those things and it becomes taboo and then you don't talk about them. And then you get married to someone who learned all kinds of different lessons from his or her own parents. And by the time it gets to you, you guys, you guys have a loaded deck against you. You never had formal training. The lessons you learned were mostly wrong and you learned totally different lessons from one another. So it, it's a really tough thing. Couples fight about two things, kids and money. And um, the money one doesn't have to be that way. The kids one, you know, we all learn different lessons about parenting and there's no rule book for that, as you guys know. Um, but money, there are rule books for, mo for money. You can figure that out. And we have to do a better job of making sure that the adults know how to do this. Because I don't think, t I don't think schools are prepared to teach this. I think it starts in the household. And that's difficult because there are a lot of households that just don't have the wherewithal to do it. They don't have their own knowledge. I want to get back to retirement here a little bit, maybe round out our discussion. Um, you know, there, we talked at the top of the conversation about how there are different goals at every different age, right? A 20-year-old saves for retirement differently, perhaps, than a 50-year-old. Um, are there guidelines? Are, uh, is there math? Is there a schedule that kind of keeps you on track? Or is there maybe a philosophy you can share about how different age groups might think about retirement? Most definitely. Although the, the first thing is to recognize that there is no such thing as a good rule of thumb because everyone's different. And if you take two 35-year-old people with the same income and the same you know, balance sheet, but one of them has four children and one of them has no children, they're going to have very different trajectories financially, right? Even though on paper they look identical, they are not identical. Or one with health concerns or one with uh, you know, an elderly parent who needs help. Or there, there, there's too many variables for a rule of thumb to be a good idea. So um, in your 20s, it's about starting good habits. It's about learning to save. It's about learning to, if not budget, at least to pay yourself first. You know, I, 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 you have the spreadsheet. There are software packages that can do that. I actually, I actually despise budgets. I despise the idea. I do it for the company, but for my household, I don't do it. What I do is I know what I need to put away, what my wife and I need to put away in order to make sure we hit financial independence on target. And we've done an analysis of that. We've done the math. Once we do that every month, the rest of the money we spend any way we want. And that's nice. So you can decide, do you want to go out to eat three days a week and, and make it this level restaurant? Or do you want to go out once a month and make it this level restaurant? Whatever you want to do. I, I, I don't want to tell somebody what you can or can't do with, with your disposable income. But the, the must is that you pay yourself first. That's really, really important. So in your 20s, you're starting good habits. You're avoiding debt. And really, before your 20s, we got to counsel kids on student loans. That's got to stop. I mean, this idea that you can come out of undergraduate school with 50 or 60 or $100,000 of debt and very, very poor job prospects, candidly, um, is, is a recipe for disaster. We have got to stop the student loan piece. And that doesn't mean make education free. Don't get me wrong. There's a value to it and there's a cost for it, and that's fine. But it does mean 
determining and making good decisions either for yourself as a young person or with your own children around what is this really worth and what should we be spending? Yeah, Eric, I have to jump in on that. And of course, I have to apologize. You'll hear the authenticity. We don't record in a studio. You'll hear my landscapers outside cutting the bushes of all days. They picked this weekend to do it, so my apologies. But everything you said about the college uh, cost is incredible. We just did a podcast on this because my niece is going through this. She was the valedictorian of her class, top of her class, now has to put school off for a year because she has to figure out how she's going to pay for school. And she has to kind of reorient herself to figure out which school she could go to that she could afford. So um, it's definitely something that... um, has hit home for me, so I'm glad you were able to bring that up today on the podcast. Um, Eric, at the top of the podcast, you mentioned uh, in 2009 there was some lessons learned uh, that you that you said that if we ask you, you'd elaborate on. Is is that something you could go into for us at this point? Oh, absolutely. The the you know we learned a lot in 2008 and 2009. Just not not just being financial advisors, but being adult people. Uh, and going through something that um, none of us expected, which was a credit and real estate bubble and, and crisis and so forth. And you guys mentioned when you were talking about the, one, of the, one of your stories today about how banks only want to lend you money when they expect you to repay it. And in the mid-2000s, that was not true because banks were, were essentially lending money and then selling the loans and packaging them as investments, as high-yield but dangerous investments that of course all blew up. And so those banks weren't afraid to lend money to somebody who might not repay it because they weren't gonna be on the hook for it. They were gonna package it and sell it. So the good news is that most of that is over and that now banks are back to lending. And, and we tell a lot of clients, borrow money when you don't need it because once you need it, you can't borrow it. And, and so that's in line with, with some of your sentiments earlier today. Um, in 2008 and 2009, we learned that real estate values can in fact go down. And it had been a long time since it had happened, but they can, in fact, go down. And particularly areas with second homes or, or vacation destinations, you know, your your Nevadas and your Floridas got, got hit disproportionately because those are second homes or those are, are places where uh, where folks could give the keys up without becoming homeless. And, and so there was a whole lot to, to, to think about there. Um, with regard to uh, our family, you know, we we got married in 2007. In April, in July, um, we bought the house. Fortunately, it's the house we're still in, but we bought a house in July of 2007. If you remember anything about 2007, housing prices were outrageous. There were bidding wars. People were paying more than the appraised value for homes. It was sort of a race to do that. Uh, And we bought in July of 2007 simply because that's where it aligned with our life. We got married. We bought a house. Um, A month later, my wife's company got bought by a company from Spain, and she got laid off. So we went in 2007 from being in this little affordable condominium to being in this house that was much more expensive and then losing an income immediately. Um, and then three months, four months after that became parents. It was, it was, if you talk about a perfect storm, it all sort of, sort of came together uh, in that way. And so it, it forced us to rethink some of the things we were doing. It forced me to work a lot more. Um, it forced us to have conversations about Childcare, things that all moms and dads have to think about is, do I go back to the workforce or do I, um, you know, in which case we're going to use daycare or do I stay home with our little one or little ones? Um, and in our case, we decided that, um, that my wife would stay home with our daughter. 
and it was a blessing in so many ways, but it also changed our financial trajectory because we went from two incomes to one. Um, I, I, to say that, that I regret that would be silly. I most certainly don't. It's, it's been the right decision for our family and for our daughter and, and so forth. But the lessons learned here are all the things you thought you knew you don't know. And we're learning them again now, not just with the pandemic, but we're learning them with interest rates. Over the last couple of years, interest rates were at all-time lows. They had to go up, and yet they haven't. You know, oil prices had to at some point go up, and not only didn't they go up, they went negative. They went to negative $30 a barrel. Imagine that. Yeah. I imagine that in any other walk of life. That's not in your economics textbook. But imagine that in any other walk of life where you have to pay somebody to take your inventory so you can stay in business. That's So the things that we learned in 09 about real estate, about debt, about credit, about markets, we certainly learned that it was important to segregate assets. So when we build portfolios now, we look to have segregation of assets so that we don't have to use a total return philosophy. We don't have to sell anything when it's low because we have assets that are set up for the, for the it could be five to 10 years worth of income generation, even for people who are in their 40s or 50s. Make sure you don't have to sell anything low in, in an emergency. And that's, that's been a valuable lesson. And there, there are so many more. We learned about tax lessons. You know, right now we're sitting as 2020. We have the lowest income tax structure in modern history, and we just did multi-trillion dollar stimulus package and maybe have another on the way. Taxes are predictably going to get higher. I don't know when interest rates are going to go up. I don't know when taxes are going to go up, but these things, they, they have to happen. There's reversion to the mean, some of it's math. If taxes are going to be higher in a year or two or five, what strategies, what things can you do now to make sure, because a dollar's not a dollar. A dollar with no taxes due is different than a dollar with, with tax on it. Just like a house you own with no mortgage, it, it may have the same market value as a house you own with a mortgage, but it doesn't have the same equity value to you. So we, we learned to, to plan ahead on things that we could reasonably expect, but we also now know black swan events happen, and they seem to happen once a decade right now. Yeah, that, that's very interesting because everything you said resonated with me because I almost had the same experience in 2004. We lived in a very comfortable condominium. We sold it when my uh, son was born. We bought a house, a bigger house with a much bigger mortgage. And then, you know, 2008, 2009 hit. And I, I have to agree with you on all those pieces. Uh, the one thing that you said that really resonated was not selling when being able to sell stuff uh, not at the low point, right? So in being forced to, I think that's very important to make sure you have a well-balanced portfolio that gives you uh, that flexibility and that capability. Um, I think with that, we'll, we'll jump into our summary recap. And for me this week, I think what I took away was, Eric, I loved this discussion today. Um, every Monday, I, I get on my Peloton bike and I listen to the podcast back and I I pick up so many details, either from our guests or from Jody. So for me, I look forward to, to digging deeper and listening to the podcast and, and jumping into uh, your social media and podcasts as well. Um, Jody, what's your take uh, on the summary recap this week? Yeah, Eric, uh, this has been a fantastic conversation and such wise counsel that you have there. Um, my takeaways here are you, you must define a goal for what you want to accomplish with your life and then figure out how your financial plan drives you to that goal. Make a plan and then get going and, and obviously seek out wise counsel to help you achieve your vision. Eric wanted to give you a chance to to give us a summary recap for today and, and also throw in some plugs for your business. 
Um, you know, the, the summary is um, that that getting a plan is very, very important, but starting immediately is maybe even more important because it doesn't matter whether you're 25 or 55, you must take that first step in order to get this done. So you cannot wait to begin to formulate financial uh, plans and to get your house in order. And it's important not to be embarrassed about where you are. I know some very wealthy people who are embarrassed they aren't wealthier. And it's actually kind of tragic. So make sure you start and get started early and do it with uh, the right professionals. Um, I would love to plug uh, some of the things that we're doing because we, we one of the things we want is to get information to the public. And so we have a, a number of free resources available. If you go to lowtaxbook.com, you can download a white paper that goes over the four places where most Americans can put money where it's never taxed again. There has never been a better year than 2020 to look at these four strategies. They make a lot of sense. Um, it's uh, a free download, lowtaxbook.com. Uh, for folks who want to check out our podcast, Don't Retire Graduate, can be found at brotmanmedia.com or at don'tretiregraduate.com. Uh, the book comes out September 15th by that same title. Um, and we'll be doing an online course, which will be a financial literacy and financial independence course later this year. Uh, and all of that will be on Brotman Media. And lastly, to check out our financial planning firm, um, Brotman Financial Group is at BFGFA. And that's BFG Financial Advisors in Maryland. Very cool. I'm gonna, I'm, we're going to encourage our audience to, to check out all those pieces because I think in aggregate, those are going to give you a, a leg up in terms of your personal financial future. Uh, well, Jody and Eric, I thoroughly enjoyed our discussion today, and I'm personally looking forward to the next one. Thanks, everyone, for downloading our podcast. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at financialdads at gmail.com or check us out on Facebook. Just go to financialdads.com. So with that, this is Paul and Jody reminding you, managing finances can be stressful, but that's why the Financial Dads are here to help you plan for success. Have a good one, everybody. Be well, and thank you. Thank you.